oh my god, my ears are the sweatiest. It's so, it's so mm. sticky in here, man. It's ridiculous. Delicious. All right, so merch time, folks. As is quickly becoming the tradition, every time we release a new podcast, there is a new line of apparel out there for you to buy, should you choose to, uh, or at the very least, go over and have a look and enjoy the memeiness of it all. Uh, The link is in the show notes there, Bill. You can go check it out. This month, the theme is licorice. And uh, I created the licorice line, which is basically just a hoodie two shirts and a cup that says the word team licorice so you can like show the world that you are (laughs) on board with the one true uh, confectionery item so go check those out (laughs) links in the show notes have a look next month there's some other nonsense will be up there uh, to check out too (laughs) excellent Uh, Um, I'm not going to be buying anything this month Edgar (laughs) you're not actually it'll be really interesting to see if uh, what the stats are like uh, in regards to uh, people buying it like will the licorice lovers come out in force um please do because again uh like you know we need to sh- like licorice support um now so that's that's merch very quick um next thing uh in follow-up that i wanted to just quickly quickly mention is that we got i've been making the climate videos uh, of late and uh you slash vulcan trekkie a regular who appears on the show uh, made a climate flow chart links are in the description and it's basically you know, it, it is what it says on the thin tin you want to create climates for your world you can either do my method or do their flow chart and i think i think their thing is really cool it's dependent on knowing temperatures or at least guessing temperatures um heads up uh just for uh going in but for the sheer fact that that vulcan trekkie put together this really daunting looking flow chart um, I think it's worth shouting out. So go check those out, folks. Yes, go go check it out. It's a really, um, it's a pretty in- intense chart. It's a uh, very impressive. It is definitely impressive, uh, and it takes it's it's you know it's it's easy to think that oh like it's I don't know it's got like whatever fifty different fields here or whatever that must have taken them you know fifty minutes a minute per field something like that uh, <laughs> and it's never like that it's always like exponentially more so I can imagine this t- took many 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 hours and so yeah go go check it out and and show some love for uh, Vulcan Trekkie and um, Bill what have you got Edgar? in follow up first this month uh two emails we want to take a quick look at cool the first is from um Hannes B Hannes B Maybe German. Hannes sounds very, very German. If so, yeah, uh, willkommen. Um, so, Hannes B was going to ask about uh, swimming. Um, they actually find swimming under the water easier than swimming on the surface, which is quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, once, again, once you get down there, maybe the, the issue is getting down there. <laughs> um. But the, the main the main thing they wanted to ask about was about Yanspar. So that's one of my settings, the one I'm a little bit more uh, tight-lipped about. Uh, everything that I publish about it is from an in-universe perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so their point was, uh, I ran a D&D game set in Yanspar. Um, it's, it's their understanding that the game has mechanical things connected to the world-building of a sort of a typical setting. There are spells that refer to 
the different planes, like, you know, if you want to do something with fire, it refers to the elemental plane of fire. Um, and so th did I have to change game mechanics to play in Janspar is, is the first of the question here. And by running a D&D &D game in Janspar, does that mean that I accepted all the base assumptions of the game? Um, you know, mind flares and planes of existence and things like that. So can I cut across you real quick? Mind flares, yes. are, are they a D&D &D thing or is that a Stranger Things thing? It's a D&D it's a thing. Oh, okay. So the, the kids in Stranger Things call the demon that because they play a load of D&D. Yeah, the the ah. the two opponents are, are are both named after D and D things. Like in season one, it's the Demogorgon, which is a, a prince of demons in um, one of the one of the original D and D settings in Greyhawk, I think. Oh, see, see that I knew because they kind of explicitly referenced that. I, th I remember them taking out a book and then being like, "Look, that's the monster," but I didn't remember yeah. it happening for the Mind Flare. But that's not cool. That's interesting. Yeah, they they, they do that for for season two as well. Um, uh, and I think it's really funny because the the mind flare in the show is like a vastly more dangerous opponent than the Demogorgon from the original season, from the first season. Um, and in game terms, mind flares are like fairly tough, but the Demogorgon is a literal prince of demons. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so the, the thing I'd say here, th this is an interesting thing about to what extent do the the rules of the game define your world building and um how how those two ideas impact each other the flavor and the the crunch uh, as as the, the fan terms are wait crunch um so the crunch is rules oh. and flavor is setting sure okay and they're not like they're not totally uh, separable you can't you can't totally divorce them in a lot of cases um but I would say no, that the fact that I was using a certain rule set um, doesn't mean that it necessarily takes on all of the assumptions of the, the setting that was originally written for. So I, I was playing with um, Pathfinder, specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and sure, there are, there are spells in that game which refer directly to, say, Planes of Existence. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the planes of existence have to exist in in my game. I could not use rule or not use spells that refer to that um, if I felt that they didn't fit in. Like you could just say that you know instead of coming from the elemental plane of fire, the power of the spell comes from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, using using a certain rules framework doesn't mean you have to accept every single assumption um, of the writers. It, it's magic, and you can come up with a different explanation for it if you want. Uh, mind flares, uh, strictly speaking, they're not in Pathfinder uh, because they're Wizards of the Coast intellectual property, and Pathfinder is not published by Wizards of the Coast, so they had to uh, let go of a lot of the traditional D and D monsters when they uh, released it, and certain things uh, they weren't able to carry over. Um, so I don't. Think no, we never came across them in in the Ansper game no. um, that I ran. Um, and as to whether they exist in the broader Ansper, who knows? <sighs> Except they can't because they're intellectual property of a very litigious company. But who knows? Um, when you were like creating uh, the game of Ansper, did you find yourself having to do a lot of this renaming things? 
No, because it never really came up. Okay, all right. So, so the, it didn't really matter then for you that you were running your own setting. It just, it just all just worked normal. It was fine. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Like in, in practical terms, it's it's not a, it's very often not a big deal. Now, if you want to do something that's radically different to a standard fantasy setting, then you might run into problems um, with with how the how the, with the assumptions the game makes. Sure. But I was just doing a fantasy setting. Um, that had some differences to a normal one, but nothing that required that much mechanical change to the game. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I think that's that's that was an interesting question purely because I'm, I'm yeah, imagining a lot of people want to run. Given that we like world building here, I'm sure I'm assuming a lot of people want to run their own worlds, um, and imagine mm-hmm. that's a thing that they uh, that they worry about. Um, yeah, you know, can I make what I've uh, done fit? within the context of Pathfinder or D&D or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's, that's cool that it, it didn't take too much um, effort to make it work. Yeah, I mean, they are designed so they can be used fairly generically. And I mean, if you listen to any developers or, or designers for most games, unless it's a very, very specific tie-in with something, they are aware of the needs to make things flexible and the need to make things... Um, uh, you know, generic mm. are capable of being generic. So yeah, my main advice is just don't be too tied to specifics. Yeah, change. feel free to change things for the setting that you want. Yeah, one of the rules is you can change the rules. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. In in Pathfinder, possibly in in other games as well, that's called rule zero. That the main thing is that it should be fun. Yeah, exactly. Um. Cool. All right. Um, next email? Last email? Uh, yeah, this is our uh, last email for this episode, for this month. Hey! <laughs> uh, we got an email from Samson DeBarba, mm-hmm. who has a couple of points to bring up. Uh, first of all, thanks for the podcast. Um, they watched the first several seasons of Stargate SG-1 and its class. Uh, they started the Battlestar Galactica reboot um, and have downloaded the Dune audiobook. I guess this is all stuff we've yeah. uh, recommended at some point. Um, the map-making videos are brilliant, Edgar. Thanks, Samson. Um, and they have thoroughly rectified some maps and have created some new potential story ideas in the process. So that's pretty Excellent. Good. That's cool. I'm glad to hear. That's awesome. Okay, so questions. Uh, Primus, question the first. Will Bill ever appear on the main channel, perhaps as a culture-building segment? The wider world of Artifexian needs Bill. That is an awfully kind thing to say. Well, Thank you very much. Now, would you would you appear uh, on the main show? And, like, I mean, I, how comfortable are you with, like, because like, so the main channel obviously has a much larger audience than the podcast. Mm-hmm. How comfortable are you with, like, Tens of thousands, potentially like a hundred, two hundred thousand people hearing you, knowing about you, etc. Um, fairly. Okay. All right. Fairly. I mean, the the only issue is that like I'll be appearing beside you, and you like I'll just look so much less handsome in comparison. What? <laughs> um. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't. Uh, I, that's obviously a, a decision for for you to make as the video channel guy but i wouldn't be opposed to 
making a guest appearance. Do you know what? I genuinely never thought about it until this email came in. And culture building is so far <laughs> down the road that like that's why I didn't think about these things. But like that would be class. I think we should definitely do it. Um, okay. Definitely. It's just I would imagine it's going to be years away because I'm really slow. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, luckily, we have a podcast to keep us ticking over. Um, this is true. So, Secundus. Secundus, question the second... Um, Samson has been listening to Welcome to Night Vale and they're up to episode 40 thank you Edgar did you recommend Night Vale? I think I, I uh, what's the opposite of recommend man? Uh, what's that word? disrecommend disrecommend dissuaded okay hold on recommend antonym uh, reject veto none of those really work in this context no, um, I didn't recommend, I suppose is the neatest way of saying it. Um, I remember saying, like, ages ago, I remember saying that uh, I tried to listen to Welcome to Night Vale, but they were in the middle of, of whatever they were doing, and I found it hard to just pick up in the middle. I have a similar yeah. issue with, there's a podcast called Oh my called god, disrecommend is a word. Amazing. What's a word? Disrecommend is a word. Oh, very interesting. I have a similar issue with, like, uh, there's a great podcast called The Adventure Zone. Um, mm-hmm. which I actually really like, but I, I find it difficult to get into it mid-flow. They're basically a D&D podcast, uh, and it's hilarious. It's great. Uh, but it's just, if you're not there from the beginning, it's very hard. So that was my thoughts on Welcome to Night Vale, but I think you, Bill, listened to it and really liked it, and I think you were the one who recommended it. Yeah, no, I haven't listened to it in ages. It's been about, um, maybe it's been a year since I since I was really into it, um, and I, I went back to the start and I was listening through but yeah, there's there, there's something I really enjoy about it. Um, I guess ultimately, it's it's a story of community in in the face of you know terrifying abject horror. The community itself is often quite horrifying and, and terrifying, but it's still a community. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's something there's something I, I do enjoy about it. Um, but the, anyway, the thrust of the question is, outside of world building, what are your go-to YouTube channels or other media producers? What entertains or enthralls? Um, you take it, man. I, I, mainly on YouTube, I just watch a lot of music YouTube. Mm-hmm. That's, that's mostly what I do. Um, I'm sure I've mentioned him before, but Adam Neely is a very good channel. Amazing. Um, a lot of the time you do need a, a fair bit of... Uh, music theory background to understand it, but not always. Um, I'm just going to scroll through my subscriptions here and throw out some other recommendations. 12-Tone, they're great. Mm-hmm. They do um, both videos on advanced theory and song analysis videos. Uh, 8-Bit Music Theory, um, I'm not sure if, if he's come back yet. Oh, he has, yeah. He was away for a while. Um, there's a guy called David Bruce, composer, mm-hmm. who... He is a composer, as you may have guessed, and does quite kind of similar to Adam Neely, that kind of thing. Rick Beato was kind of interesting. I don't think he's a great teacher. I think you have to have a pretty good grasp to understand what he or to follow him. He he kind of jumps all over the place, but he really really knows his stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you have a little bit, he's he's good to he's good to follow. Um, and then uh, other than theory stuff, I like Anthony Fontano who's a music uh, critic. Um, he has a channel called The Needle Drop, where he reviews albums and things. But he's got a, a side channel called Fantano, where he does shorter reviews and just kind of 
talks about topics, just like turns on his camera and, and talks about some topic in music industry news. And um, he'll, he'll do like, he'll solicit things to argue about on his Twitter. So he'll have a let's argue and people give controversial opinions or things like that. And he'll discuss them on, on videos. Oh. So I like that channel a lot. Um, and outside music, um, I quite enjoy Name Explain. Oh yes, Name Explain, yes. Um, Native Lang in the mm-hmm. uh, Ling Tube, if that's a thing, Ling side of things. Um, and occasionally I'll watch like crafty YouTube. There's a, a channel called Primitive Technology. Yes. It's very, very slow. And it's just guys building things with kind of Stone Age materials. Oh my god, that's it's very entertaining. It's so good. It's so good. I love it. Myself and the captain watch it as well. It's great. Mm. I don't watch it a lot, but I enjoy it when I do. What about you, Edgar? Uh, so, um, what have I got? Uh, outside of world building, I'm going to say outside of world building and conlang. Um, Easy German is a YouTube channel I like watching. It's like a vox pop channel where people go out and talk to German people about whatever. And you get to hear Germans talk naturalistically. Um, it's good for anyone who's like m- like mid-level to advanced. Has mid-level to advanced German. Um, mm-hmm. What else? Oh, uh, a- a Chain Bear, uh, I think is his name. Uh, let me just double check that. It's a, it's a Formula One channel who goes through like the science uh, of Formula One. Of um, Formula One, really? Yeah, Jane Bear F one. Uh, I really like. I I really like Formula One. Um, oh, okay. I enjoy listening to uh, classical music with the uh, any sort of generic classical music video that has a score on it. I enjoy listening to that. Okay. I don't know actual channels; they just show up in my recommendation. Uh, I'm a big fan of PewDiePie because, especially now with, with Minecraft, he's doing class work with Minecraft. I really enjoy it. Um podcast land what have i got oh uh sorry uh again on youtube uh the great war is an amazing youtube channel uh they do one episode on every week of the first world war okay um, and i i really like the whole aesthetic of it like your man who's doing it uh indy nidel at least at the start he looks like he's from 1914 um he's drew the sets cool and it's very interesting um podcast land I've mentioned Dan Curran's Hardcore History. It's very good. Um, shout out to the Blind Boy podcast. Oh, yes. Non, definitely. Non-Irish people probably won't get it. It's uh, one of Ireland's like leading comedian social commenters, uh, uh, persons, uh, person, uh, just talking into a mic for an hour. And just it's it's hilarious and random and, and wonderful. Um the Star Wars Minute podcast, they're currently on hiatus, but I really enjoy it. It's, uh, they, each episode of the podcast uh, analyzes a single minute of the Star Wars, of a movie in the Star Wars franchise. They are about to start Rogue One. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, I, there's others obviously, but I don't think they're entirely relevant or people wouldn't really enjoy them. Um, yeah. That's that's it. That's all that. And then I suppose on, on on Netflix, there's a lot lots of great war documentaries that I like watching on Netflix. Um, okay. Big big into my war at the moment, Bill. Uh, particularly, yeah. Particularly World War One. World War One is just it was just a crazy time, and 
I just love learning about the history of it because I uh, until like very recently I just didn't know very much about it, but now it's just, I'm thoroughly enthralled. It doesn't get as much exposure exposure in the media as World War Two. Yeah, because well, obviously because World War Two was just so horrific. Um, mm-hmm. But like, it's just it's it's in in some ways I find it way more interesting because it's like you know it was the first war where like where modern warfare happened like and you have the old world butting heads with the new world um you know people like the french army for example they dressed like they do in napoleon times but they had like machine guns and it just just crazy like didn't have helmets at the start because they were like who needs a helmet um yeah things like that and uh, every leader in in uh, around the first world uh, around the first world war were just like incompetent like so much of it could be avoided if they just were like competent generals um and it's just this crazy like and it was started like in not in the best interest of the persons who started like the guy who shot Franz Ferdinand like Franz Ferdinand was a huge proponent of the Slavs and a Slav shot Franz Ferdinand it's like that wasn't exactly the right call there and it's just it's just this mess of things that just went utterly wrong and resulted in this like just like all out devastation and it's fascinating learning about all that playing out anyhow i'm 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 wondering we'll move on um and and there's one more question here from Mm -hmm. samson um samson is planning to go back to university and is considering dublin so any insight into the reality of the city oh do you, do you want to talk about this? Or are you long enough out of the city that you don't want to talk about it? Um, I'm long enough out of the city that I don't know if I have anything useful to say. Um, housing is pretty rough at the moment. That's yep. one thing. Yep. Um, including, or perhaps especially for students. It's a very expensive and not a very high quality. Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, our government is tied to a market ideology solution yeah. to housing which um, has been shown to fail repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that to consider. <laughs> um, I mean, that's that's the thing I was going to say. That's the main consideration. Like, if you think about studying in Dublin, I'd actually say don't. Um, and I know that's really anti-patriotic and stuff, but, like, you can get a better education for cheaper, like, on the continent. Um, mm. Yeah, like, like, for example... Um, the captain is looking at going back and doing a master's at some stage and we were looking around at countries that offered free education um, mm-hmm. loads popped up in in Europe Austria seemed like a really cool uh, place for that for it to happen totally free education not nowhere near as expensive as, as Dublin uh, beautiful country and like connected to other countries so if you want to take you could take a weekend trip to uh, the Czech Republic or Germany or Italy like you can go see more of the world you're not stuck in an island so mm-hmm. like whilst I really do love Ireland I, I, I wouldn't really recommend studying here um, or at least not for four years if you're doing an undergrad like if you want to come for a one-year master's that's cool you won't bankrupt yourself but a four-year thing like you're gonna you're gonna end up throwing an awful lot of money down the drain yeah so that, that would be my my chief concern um outside of that i mean you you currently live there i don't it's a cool city though there's you know it's fun there's a nice atmosphere i think yeah I, I, there, there's stuff to do and there's 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 stuff to see 
Um, maybe not four years worth if you're thinking of doing a, another undergrad. <laughs> but um, I mean, I don't think there's four years worth of seeing anything in any city. Like if you if you live in Paris, I don't think there's four years worth of attractions to see. There's only like what that's thirty, maybe forty. You get those done in a year. <laughs> totally what? Uh, the uh, I mean, it's a nice. I don't know if I'd agree with it's a nice city, Bill. No, uh, it's very. <laughs> you know the, the thing that people always say like oh Dublin has character yeah and it's always unsure as to whether character is a good a positive or a negative thing um, <laughs> there there's a lot it's it's not it's not very modern this city like um it's in many places it's very run down um which again you can see as character and as being kind of like cool and oldie or you can see it as just being like a not functioning city um there are, like in every city, I suppose... I mean, they're, they're making a great attempt to gentrify the absolute hell out of it. They by are. building hotels everywhere. They, they are. No, that, that's fair. They are. Um, the, like with every city, there are, like, um, social problems. Um, I think in certain areas of Dublin, those social problems are very amplified. Um, I live in an area uh, where those social problems exist, and it's a, it's a little bit infuriating. Um like we had a we had a massive uh, police thing happen just outside the door uh, two days ago. Two days ago, there was some huge brawl or something at the bar across the road, and there were like several police cars. There was shouting, and you know these things happen on the regular in Dublin. It, 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 in in certain areas, like if you go to like the super super posh areas, like obviously it doesn't happen as much. But um, yeah. there are a lot of pockets where there are people. social problems and no one seems to want to do anything about it. So, like, that's a thing to bear, bear in mind. Um, yeah, and the, the public transport doesn't work, so... <laughs> public transport isn't, isn't great, yeah. I mean, I, I've just come back from... Um, I was in the UK for about a week. I just think, you know, it's, it's so much friendlier than London. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Oh, no, like, definitely. London is so impersonal. Yeah, yeah. And, like, people aren't much crack. But I think people are generally a bit friendlier and a bit more crack in, in Dublin. But then they also are in Manchester. I was, I was in Manchester briefly as well. Mm-hmm. And that was quite a fun city. And it runs quite well and things. Um, so, look, I, I, really, I really like Dublin. Um, and I think it's a cool place. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not without its, without its problems. And housing would be my, my chief concern there. Yeah. For sure. I, I, I love Dublin too, but it, it, it's sort of in the sense of like, you know, if you own a pet that has like three <laughs> legs and is incontinent or whatever, like you love that animal, but like, it's not like you would advise people to go out and try and get a three-legged incontinent animal. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I understand. Of of world building importance, uh, I was at a wedding. I was at the captain's father's wedding. Oh, wonderful! Um, and he got married to a German lady, so there was kind of German traditions mixed into. Um, I was going to say a traditional Irish wedding, but it wasn't a traditional Irish wedding. It was a, it was a bit more kind of modern than a traditional Irish wedding. Some of the uh, one of these traditions I just want to talk about in the sort of sense of like getting people to think about like how ceremonies are done in their world and that sort of thing and to you know solicit kind of emails and reddit comments about uh, how people tackle ceremonies in their world uh 
and this 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 tradition was a thing called uh, Polterabend, which apparently happens in Germany. I never heard of it before this, and it's kind of like a celebration before the wedding, um, for all the people who can't, like can't show up, like a less formal sort of thing, and one of the kind of games i suppose or symbolic rituals that they do is um everyone brings along plates like like delf um mm-hmm. and they all smash the plates crockery off. oh sorry I, I i'm not sure delf is is uh used outside ireland okay well what is plate you know plates like ceramic Cro- plates crockery yeah yeah crockery um everyone brings along some item of crockery and they all smash the crockery on the floor, <laughs> uh, and it is it is the uh, the wedding couple's uh, responsibility to clean up all the shards of crockery. And <laughs> the symbolism there is that it's like um, marriage is about tackling problems together. So like the guests, in a fun way, present this first problem, and the two of them have to you know uh, overcome it together. That's the symbolism. And apparently there's similar things done with, like, logs, where the, the couple have to, like, saw uh, a log in half. And again, it's this idea of, like, there is a problem to solve. You have to do it together. Um, and then on top of that, there's a cool little, like, side thing where uh, just as the couple are getting all the crockery into a nice pile and ready to sweep it up, it's customary for the guests to go and, like, walk through it and redistribute it. And it, it can go on for apparently ages. And people can, like, you know take up like big handfuls and like transport them over like the other side of the road and things like that and it was really fun it was really really fun the irish people didn't know what the hell was going on uh but once we all kind of copped that this is a kosher thing to be at uh it was great crack and it got yeah it got me thinking about like rituals and ceremonies particularly around the idea of like marriage and unions and things and how uh how these work in in different worlds so i just thought i'd solicit some comments based on that that's very cool. Hmm. Um, have you done anything like this in any of your worlds? Anything to do with unions and ceremonies? That sort of jazz. Not really. No. Not nothing. Nothing comes to mind. Um, I mean, I've, I have one culture in Yanspar. I think it was in Yanspar where marriage is treated quite differently. But I didn't go into any of the the specifics of the ceremony or anything. How how is marriage treated differently? Can you can you talk about this? Um, I can't. Hold on, I'll see if I can. F- it's been a while since I since I did it. Um, let's see if I can find the document here and give you a summary of the in universe thing. Uh, while you're looking, another thing that uh, I um, I'm interested in looking up, I've yet to do it. Is um, I wonder is there equivalent in like traditional Ireland? of this plate smashing thing. Like what are traditional Irish uh, rituals surrounding marriage or even just rituals in general? Like I know we have things like the wake for funerals, which I think is very Irish or at least very kind of Celtic, but I don't know of anything around, around surrounding marriage. And I think that might be a fun thing to investigate. There's the, the child of Prague. The child of Prague. Yeah. What, what is the child of Prague? So the Child of Prague is a particular um, sculpture of of like the the Child Jesus. Um, so it's like you can buy it as a statue, and the the tradition of it is 
some day before the wedding, like the, it's like the Saturday, the last Saturday before the wedding, you leave it outside the back door overnight. Um, and that is meant to make sure that there will be good weather on the day of the wedding, something like that. Oh, that's interesting. Do, yeah. Do, do we still do this in modern times? I've never seen this done. Um, some people do. Yeah. Oh, let me see. I've got, I've got it here. Yeah. They, they place a copy of the statue outside their homes. Uh, hoping for good luck and good weather on on the wedding day, so yeah, it's like some time beforehand they leave it outside, and it's it's like a a good luck thing to to have a nice wedding day. Um, the the hoping for uh, good weather is a futile task. <laughs> it never happens. I say this as it is currently lashing outside. It's like it's it's <laughs> always raining in Ireland. It's ridiculous. And <laughs> um, that's the only one that comes to mind. Um. I guess like cladder rings are a thing, but they're 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 not specifically a wedding thing. Well, hang on, um, do you want to explain cladder rings? I don't. I see. I have no context at all for this. The only context I have for any sort of like rituals in in Ireland is just like the Catholic Church. Um, mm-hmm. So, but outside of that, in a secular sort of sense, I have no idea. So, so like tell tell away there, Bill. So the cladder ring is. Uh, I think it comes from somewhere in Galway, and it's a it's a ring. You wear it on your finger, um, and on the top, there's like two hands holding a heart, and the heart sometimes has a crown on top. Oh, I know that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that's just a, a traditional uh, design, and there is a superstition or tradition associated with it that if like you're if you're in a relationship or you're in love you you wear the the ring so the 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 point of the heart is pointing up your finger so therefore like towards your own heart and if you're not it points the other way i don't know whether that's a legit thing or it's a modern invention um and so hang on is the cladder ring a it's not an engagement type thing it's just a general ring that you can wear every day well i think it it can be used as such um but not exclusively as such. Okay, interesting. No, I, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure about this, but it, it, there, there are, there, there are some kind of traditions like that associated with it. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Have you found your thing on Yanspar? Um, I, I have not. No, I don't know where it is. Sure, um, we can, we can, we can it out next show. It can be follow. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, loosely related to the notion of traditions uh, and very loosely related to notion of ceremonies um do you ever see a broom dance being performed bill never seen one in real life no i i know of them but um so for for I've never actually seen one so for people who like bill who have never seen them or aren't irish um broom dances are what they say on the tin it's like uh the session uh, is like the music session is a big thing in uh, irish culture particularly in rural irish culture more so than mm-hmm. urban irish culture um, and as part of that, like the the musicians would play in their jigs and reels and, and that sort of crack. Uh, and you may have a dancer who gets up and they dance with the broom, with like a, just a bog ordinary broom. And there's like a whole like set of steps that go with it. And there's this whole like culture behind it, which I think is really cool. Um, I saw it happen. I saw it happen once. And it's uh, it was it was like disconcertingly loud. Because there's a lot of... I didn't anticipate just how much, like, the broom is smashed against floors. 
Like it's not just like, <laughs> it's not just like lightly placed and stuff. Uh, oh, again, for people, so you'll dance with the broom upright, like dance around it and make leg shapes around it. But you'll also lay it down on the floor and like dance over it. And like, there's mm. no laying it down. It's like you 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 throw it down almost like you're kind of posturing. Like it's a proper like bump. Uh, and I remember Take being that. Yeah, exactly. And I remember being so loud, so loud. But it was great crack. It was wonderful crack. Uh, the Irish session is a is a beautiful tradition to behold. I think it's great. Um, but that is only marginally related to the notion of uh, marital ceremonies. Yeah, I, that's I, I can't think of any others. I'm I'm sure I'm sure there are ones that I just kind of can't bring to mind, or I don't realize that they're specifically Irish. Um, yeah, because nearly all the weddings I've been to have been Irish weddings. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Um, but so, yeah, again, uh, if you've worked on stuff like this for your world, leave it in, leave it in the Reddit or an email. We'd like to hear about it. Like, uh, we, might, yeah. we might read out some in follow-up uh, next time. So, Bill, how about we now do some Edgar. world building and then we'll get back to my thing later and then we'll just do a, a, a tic-tac. A tic-tac? Like, to tic-tac, to back and forth. Tic-tac? Have you never heard that before? That is new to me. Nope, I, never heard that before in my life. I think it's a businessy thing, as in like go tic tac with like uh, HR. I think that's the word. <laughs> You're making oh, me pleasant. Tic tic tac. Wait, hold on. How do I how do I Google this? Two tic tac. <laughs> tic tac verb. I, okay, maybe I'm totally wrong. I'll leave it in, and someone on the internet will tell me. Anyhow, world billing. So this month, hey. I have returned to romance. To to romance. And um, yes. But does it not have a proper name now? Oh, it does. Of course. Sorry. Yes. To Ekern. <laughs> to Ekern. I've returned to Ekern. Um, and I have another letter written by uh, someone we've heard from before. Oh, my man, Deshag. Deshag. Uh, yes, we've heard about it before. Anyway. Uh, Dajag. Do you want to do you want to crack into us? Avdien, thank you as always for your letters last month. My recuperative period in Othvev has come to an end, and I have returned to more vigorous duties. The passage to Lansk was uneventful, utterly lacking in parties and poets, and the dreary journey so soon after the whirlwind of society that entertained me so in Otvev was dreadful to bear, save only for your letters of home and your tales of your own exploits. I wish I could tell you that the posting here in Lansk has been more engaging. Though I am restored to full duties after my recovery, the daily routine of parades and exercises, as well as my administrative tasks, have numbed my mind nearly as much as the surgeon's soporifics I grew so familiar with last year. I shouldn't paint so dismal a picture. Though the work itself has been dull, and I am starved for society outside my fellow officers, Lansk has been an exciting place for other reasons. You may have heard of the discontent brewing here, and perhaps some similar agitation has grown in Meersphere. The lower classes and groundsfolk are demanding greater pay and improved conditions of labour. That their lives may be difficult, I do not doubt. You know I am not without compassion. But it is certain that Urfani agitators, seeking to undermine lawful rule and subvert the trade of the companies, are behind this recent movement. I shall tell you of an event last week, 
Though I was not involved, I had a magnificent view of the whole proceedings. First, do you know of Baron Te Eintov? He is the chief bailiff of Lansk, and a fellow Misviri by birth. He is a fine man, a great counsellor, and a cunning opponent, as you shall see. I think your father and his mother may have had business together one time. I have not yet had the pleasure of a meeting with him, but I shall find out all I can as soon as I am able. Last week, there was a demonstration for greater wages, held in a broad field often used for fairs and travelling markets, lying on the river between the quays and the small hill. This had somehow been arranged without coming to the attention of the prefects or the company's guards. But once word began to spread among the groundsfolk, a large crowd gathered, and the employers of the city were crying for the return of their workers. I was not assigned any duties that morning, and was thus able to view the entire affair from my apartments. The mob gathered, and was awaiting the arrival of an orator, a woman from Vilv by the name of Yathara, known for her firebrand speeches and utter disrespect for authority. I heard later that the militia, having failed to stop the gathering, intercepted the speaker on her way to the field, but her supporters blocked their arrest and she escaped to the riverbank, where an Urthani vessel removed her from their jurisdiction and delivered her safely to the field. And sure enough, I saw the vessel deposit a small band of people into the crowd, whereupon a makeshift stage was mounted and speeches began. Baron's militia refused to march upon the crowd, not wishing to arrest their own kin or face reprisals for interference. Though this mutiny could not be punished immediately, they were instead ordered to guard the edges of the crowd and prevent any more from joining its ranks. Baron instead sent for a company of Tamari marines, which were granted to him immediately, as well as a patrol craft. With the crowd absorbed in the oration and hemmed in by the militia, a most neat manoeuvre was undertaken. The patrol vessel hovered over the crest of the hill, seeming merely to observe the proceedings, while a company of marines marched around the city and gained the far side of the hill from the field, and thus were unseen by the mob. The patrol vessel issued a lawful warning for the gathering to disperse, and this was not heeded by the agitators, but incited them to greater chants and songs. Their enthusiasm was doubtless inflamed by rhetoric and cheap Erthani spirits. As the passion of the crowd grew, the marines crested the hill and panic overtook the mob. The vessel sent a warning shot from its lower battery, striking the water near the Erthani vessel that had delivered Yathada, but the marines stormed down the hill to seize the stage and hold its occupants in custody. A terrific brawl ensued. Elements of the mob attempted to flee, finding dissent and agitation no longer to their taste, only to be held back by the clubs of the militia, whose duty had finally overcome their timidity. Others attempted to storm the stage and gain the freedom of their leaders, only to be cut down by the marines. Those that tried to escape to Erthani vessels in the river found their allies unwilling to approach the shore while it was being lightly bombarded by the patrol vessel's batteries. The militia were at length instructed to arrest any leaders of the trouble and agitation, and allow the rest of the crowd to return to their homes. A fine end to a troublesome quarrel, most unsuited to the abesque spirit of adventure. Talk in the officers' club is that the mob was as many as 20,000 people strong, and Yathara yet remains in custody in Baron's court. Despite their ill-thought attempt to take the stage, the number of dead in the crowd scarcely numbers in the dozens. 
Agitators such as these shall not receive so warm a welcome in our dear Meersphere, I suspect. Do return my letter with all haste. I do not expect the city to provide such diversion again soon, and I have yet to find the equal of the society I so enjoyed in Offa ever at home. Please tell me what other accounts of this affair have reached Meersphere, and the attitude of the groundsfolk to these agitations. In the meanwhile, I shall find out more of Baron's people, and his business with your family. Perhaps we may find a pretense for you to come visit me. Your friend, Dajag Tashensha, Lieutenant Tamar Company. Cool. Thank you. That, my friend, is a lot of writing this week. Um, well played. You, you were you said you said you were up against it with the writing, and yet you managed to churn out such a lengthy work. That's amazing. I was very okay. It's a thousand and fifty-eight words. Okay, um, I was I was very tired one of the days I was away, and I wasn't like that up to much up to going around and seeing things. So I um, sat in cafes and sketched down the outlines of this, and then I, I put it together last night. Cool. It's really good. It's really like it. Uh, I really like it. Um, uh, again, with Edgar's interrogation things, uh, one of the questions that often springs to mind when I think of your writing is, why are you writing about this? Um, same thing applies here. Why are you writing about this? Has something... Uh, why protests in particular? Is this a, any real-world uh, issue spring to mind here? Um, yes. Yes. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? So I recently learned of the Peterloo massacre. Peterloo. Peterloo massacre, no which took that. place in Manchester in August eighteen nineteen. So, um, nearly exactly two hundred years ago. Um, two hundred years ago, a week from from the recording date, it was on the sixteenth of August eighteen nineteen, and it was a very similar situation. Um. A, a crowd of people gathered in St. Peter's Field in Manchester and were, they were basically protesting l- low wages and new, I think new corn laws had come in, which had made uh, food a lot more expensive and it greatly increased the cost of living for the, the working class. And they wanted better wages and better working conditions and better suffrage because at the time, uh, Manchester didn't actually have any representation in Parliament. Um, like the the, par- the there was a Parliament in England at the time, but it was extremely corrupt and um, actually provided very little representation for a lot of people. So that was the, the the background of it. And a famous speaker was called to to our famous speaker made an appearance to to speak there, and the. Local magistrates called on the um, constables, I think, local special constables, and also on a regiment of hussars, who are like cavalry troops, to break up the gathering. And I think 18 people were killed uh, immediately. More died from their injuries afterwards, and hundreds upon hundreds were injured. And it was given the name Peterloo, as a reference to Waterloo, which had happened four years earlier. Um, I can't figure out why exactly. I can't figure out if the the press gave it that name to celebrate the victory of the 
like the the legitimate forces of of law and order over the enemy um or if it was in reference to kind of like the horror of war and it being a massacre i, I can't figure out exactly what the what the intention of there of that was i mean i would i would naturally go towards the latter there that it was a celebration of no no or that, that, that was a horrors of war yeah like as in the suffix much like we use suffix gate to mean like a massive scandal um mm-hmm. i could easily imagine lou being a suffix for like a, a disastrous violent event yeah but you see the british won at waterloo violent event <laughs> Yeah, I mean, potentially. I don't really, as I said, I, I, I can't figure it out. Like, that seems that seems likely, but it also seems kind of unpatriotic and, and quite radical to, to call it that mm-hmm. at that time, particularly. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to look more into it. Um, and, and so this, this uh, Peterloo thing, was this a mm-hmm. peaceful demonstration? Um, oh, and, yeah. Oh, so, like, there was no... No violence was occurring at all. It's just that the authorities just like overstepped their their remit. Um. Well, uh, whether they overstepped their remit is is like legally debatable at the time. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, uh, they, they th- there was a a radical protest and th- the there was a massacre. Civilians were were attacked by military and it kind of they didn't really have police at that time but like enforcement sure um forces and so you've essentially just um and i i don't mean this in an offensive way at all you've just like verbatim copied it in this story basically um it's not exactly the same but it's broadly similar yeah broadly similar it's um, quite similar yeah the uh do i detect that our friend uh deshag the the shensha um is a bit dismissive of uh, the needs and wants of uh, the quote grounds folk. Oh my uh, yes. He he completely he keeps referring to things as the agitators, and I was getting really annoyed by that. <laughs> I was like, shut up. <laughs> um, well, it's, you know they were agitating. Like it's literally accurate, but it's. <laughs> Yeah, but it's really, it's really dismissive, uh, the way he says that. Yeah. And, like, the way he kind of, like, celebrates, uh, the, I, I can't remember exactly the number you gave, but only a handful of people died. And it was kind of like, great success. I'm like, well, hang on now. A handful of people died. Like, come on. Like, this is not a success. <laughs> yeah. Scarcely in the dozens. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, that's, you know, that means, you know, at least, what would that mean? At least 13? Um, that that is by I, definition scarcely in the dozens. I guess. <laughs> like thir- if 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 you, authorities just like murdered thirteen people, like there's no way that's a uh, that you know you can be all like yay great day out. Like that's you know he's he's been a real dick. This guy Deshag. Um, yeah. The um, the other thing I was going to say is oh yeah yeah the, your your thing about the whole like demanding greater pay. Mm-hmm. And improve conditions of la- labor. That made me think about, you know, obviously unions and things like that. And then I was like, I wonder yeah. what the, pol- the political system is here. So can you elaborate on this? Like, what sort of regime are these, the, are the grounds folk people living under? And what are they looking to change? Um. So as I've kind of touched on before, it's it's a quite a, 
Um, it's it's quite an, an uneven society, and it's uh, got elements of colonialism um, and early capitalism in in how it operates. Like with the the licensed prospectors, that being a career, like going abroad to find um, other industries to exploit abroad, is a profession within the Abesque culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, as an extension of that, it doesn't have great labor conditions. It, like, think of an industrial revolution situation, an early industrial revolution. Right. It it's not quite at that level of technology, um, but economically, it it's a similar kind of thing. People have to work long hours, and workers have uh, very little control of their labor, and yet yeah, unions aren't really a thing. But this is the this is the beginning of a or a beginning of a movement to gain more fairness for workers, right? And like a beginning of maybe perhaps the creation of unions. Sure, sure, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, the uh, other things uh, I I know that this is not uh, hugely interesting to people listening, but like every you, you say words sometimes, and I'm like, the hell does he mean by this? So I just need I just need definitions off you here really quick, and then I'm done. What on earth is the surgeon's soporifics? What is a soporific? Um, it's a drug that makes you sleepy. Huh, is that a, a archaic term? Uh, don't know. Can you go um, to your GP and be all like, yo, load me up with some soporifics? <laughs> I mean, it's like, I guess that will probably be a little archaic sounding. Um, you can use it as an adjective as well, I think. But yeah, you, you can... It, it, you can describe a drug that makes you sleepy or makes you drowsy. So the painkillers that he, he was given after his after his war wound that he's a, a alluded to. Okay, well, hang on. As an adjective, so like someone who's like a lazy person, you might, or like a drowsy person, you might describe them as being sufferifical. No, something that makes that has that effect on other people. Like if if someone if uh. someone makes you sleepy or makes you drowsy, then they would be sufferific. But not someone who themselves is sleepy or drowsy. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Other other terminology things here. You say here that you're this new character, uh, Baurin Te Eintov, um, mm-hmm. is is a chief bailiff. Um, do you want to define mm-hmm. chief bailiff? Um, just in Lansk, that is one of the kind of offices of the city government. Um, not all of the spire cities are um, organized the same way. They've got they've got different um, systems. But by him being the bailiff and being a, a man of great power, that's kind of like he's in charge of the um, the prefects and the militia and things. Um, so by being the bailiff, that kind of reinforces the idea that it's it's a very kind of money based system. Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. Cool, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was a that was about it. What have you got to say about it? I was wondering, would you pick up on this? The um, the city and the companies, like the the Avesk culture, has no authority. Uh, once, as in the example given, had no authority once you thought it was aboard an Urthani vessel on on the river, because the Urthani are a they're a separate nation and they have their own laws and part of their interaction is that 
their vessels on the river are sovereign. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. Real world analog here. Does this occur at all in real life? Like, I know the idea of being on, like, international waters, but, like, the notion of, like, the, the boat in and of itself is a different country. Is that a thing that happens? Um, well, I guess embassies are the, are the yeah. sovereign property of their home nation, even if they're in another country. Um, and, I mean, I guess part of the reason here is that the, the Abesque, um they fly. They have aircraft. And they're that is how they get around, and they're not that interested in the like the river trade as a thing because they don't need to be. They they can fly yeah. wherever they want. They don't need to follow the rivers. Um, and so I guess kind of a, I guess a, a historical thing at this stage that the Urthani have always been separate, and that their vessels, because that is the kind of foundation of their culture, uh, are sovereign and closed off to to the authority of others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another thing, sorry, to pop my head up. Sorry, I'm all over shop here. De- Deshag. It's okay. The last, the last time we saw him, um, when he was in Otyev, that was the, the year rise party thing. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, good. I got that right. Uh, for once, I get these things right. Because every, whenever I listen to myself back in editing, I'm always like, Bill, so this is this. And you're like, no, Edgar, no, it's not. And I'm like, oh, okay, but it must be this. And you're like, no, Edgar, no, it's not. So I nailed one. I'm good. I'm good. Well, that, that's any- my fault for having, for not sticking with the same characters. No, no, not at all. Um, have you got anything else to say on the thing? I think that's the, that's that's just the gist of it. Cool. Um, well, sure. Then will we crack into some of uh, some of my video comment stuff? Sure. Um, so it's been a while uh, because of scheduling stuff. But the last video I released was uh, climates part like three, I guess. Um, uh, dealing with how to work out climate zones on a uh, planet spinning in retrograde motion. Um, mm-hmm. Before I, lo- I have one thing to kind of discuss. Uh, before I launch into that, have you watched it and do you have thoughts? Um, I have watched it and I uh, do have some thoughts. Oh, okay. Tell me. Um, yeah, it was pretty straightforward. Just treat everything as th- though it's going the other way. Mm-hmm. What I was, I was surprised by how different the retrograde Earth was. Um, mm-hmm. That was very cool. And that was, I thought that was quite fertile for a setting. That you could have something that seems familiar at first, but as you explore it more, things aren't where what you expect them to be. Like the mm-hmm. the Sahara, like North and Central Africa, being um, was it humid tropical? Yeah, the so, way they defined like it was humid tropical, but they didn't stick really to Copen, so I don't I don't know what that actually is. Hmm. Um. You know, it would be cool if you had somewhere that was similar. And you had an idea of the world map and you're like, oh, okay, so it's a kind of alternate Earth. But then, you know, you go to North Africa and it's completely wrong from what you expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That could be fun to play with in, in world building. Um, as, as a method, like I was talking about before, that I um, had intuited, a, you know, a fair bit of, of what you've, you've explained in, in the climate videos um, by looking at the the Koppen map of Earth mm-hmm. and figuring out from uh, latitude and sea currents and stuff how things were, um, 
since the retrograde Earth was a little bit different to what you expected, do you think that would be a fertile way to play with a retrograde planet, that, like use retrograde Earth and imitate that way? Yeah, like totally. But uh, I, I don't know if you're willing to hand wave, because I don't know whether or not the same uh, systems that give rise to retrograde Earth is applicable in general. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it would have to be. There would just be, like, there might be stuff we don't know, but, I mean, like, Earth isn't magic, so we might just not know why certain things happen. Yeah, no, but it could be something like, this, like I don't know, the Sahara became greener because uh, there happened to be this current... Like, uh, let's say, for example, the Sahara uh, became greener because the Gulf Stream happened to weaken by... Um, X amount and that led to that like you don't know whether or not that same level of weakening for example or those two things being tied would occur on every planet um, like it could be uh, Earth turning out like that could be a product of its like topography, its local topography um, Yeah. and then that's why but, and so it may not be applicable to any uh, exoplanet but if you're willing to hand wave then for sure yeah yeah um, surely that applies to this whole endeavour for every planet like there there may always be an extra yeah yeah that agreed agreed um yeah and so yeah you know it, it definitely is fertile and that's part of the reason why i i brought it up like i could have just not and just been like here here's how to do retrograde art um uh but yeah i thought it was cool like that that w- it has been demonstrated that those structures can exist so that it'd be cool to uh to apply it to, to fantasy worlds mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah, those are my comments. Cool. Um, now, the my thing I want to point out, there's nothing to do with world building. It's just the thing that I, has irked me a little bit. And I, I just wanted, like, um, I just need on-air catharsis uh, for this. Um, and that is directions. I uh, The internet is very fond of uh, telling me about how directions are inherently meaningless. Uh, and I got a lot of this with the retrograde video because, like, the whole video is... Um, the whole shtick is that like the direction of the spin has changed um uh, the ba- overall the basic thing was like this is makes no sense uh because what even is retrograde uh that's just a word that means nothing um you know downvote dislike unsubscribe that's sort of that's sort of crack uh there were several people who genuinely because direction is a bit weird who genuinely did need clarification there's a couple in the sub um and that was fine but there was others who were very much kind of like just you know wanted to signal that they understand that jack uh, that project that direction is uh, a construct and mm-hmm. uh yeah um so the basic thing here is um when you argue about direction being meaningless, as in like a retrograde planet is just a prograde planet viewed from a different perspective, right? Yeah. When you argue that, you're arguing semantics, like what we call different things, and people love doing this, but I think what people need to remember is that things physically like have direction. Like a rotating mm-hmm. planet uh, can rotate two ways about its axis. doesn't matter what we call those two ways, uh, they, but it can like that's that's just an intrinsic property of a rotating mm-hmm. structure, and on planets those different rotation directions give rise to different uh, biomes, right? And again, that's an intrinsic property, and so I just encourage people to like not get so caught up in what we call things 
um, like what is right, what is left, what is prograde, what is ret- retrograde, what is north, what is down, all that sort of jazz. That's all semantics. Uh, make sure you think about uh, the, the physical reality of the thing you're constructing, constructing, not just what we call it, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. That seems like a kind of a silly um, objection. Um, yeah, no, in large part it is. In large part, it's it's people just being um, like contrary for the sake of being contrary uh, and demonstrating that they, they have thought about this. Like in the same way that people, I was one of these people, so I, I don't mind bringing this up, uh, will point out that the interior angles of a triangle don't add up to 180 degrees, um, which is which is true. In the strictest sense. The interior sense. ones. The what? The interior angles don't. Yes, the interior angles don't. It's true in a strict sense because you need to specify uh, the reference frame. Or not the reference frame. You need to specify uh, where your triangle is being constructed. Like you have to say the interior angles of a triangle add up to 180 degrees if you're on a 2D surface. Like that's a correct statement. But if you just say... Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But if you just say the yeah, interior okay, angles yeah. of a triangle add up to 180 degrees, it's an inherently meaning thing, meaningless thing. But people, well, I mean, if it's if it's not on the 2D surface, is it, is it even a triangle? Because it's a it's a different shape than it's, if it's in a 3D space, surely. Um, so I, th- I, as far as I know, I think it is. Like, it, except that we would call it a. Oh God, I'm going to get this wrong. But like, I, I think a triangle drawn on like a globe is like a hyperbolic triangle. I think that's the word. Oh, okay. Right, um, yeah. But anyway, the point being that like, you know, it's it's the this the sort of like what even is retrograde is in a similar vein to that. It's like it's just being pedantic and like failing to acknowledge that we have conventions, um, like implicit conventions. Like we don't need to specify a triangle has 180 degrees of the interior angles on a 2D plane because we just take that for granted in the same way mm-hmm. that like retrograde is the opposite of earth and we've defined that in some way uh, yeah. and that's the convention and we don't need to explicitly state it nor does it need to be pointed out if a person says prograde without justifying it do you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but again i need to stress there were there were comments on the sub where people were genuinely confused about direction because directions a bit trippy like um and they were fine because they genuinely wanted help with a thing again there were but there were people who were just kind of like um dislike video because you're stupid and i'm just like no you're missing the point anyhow that's my Mm. catharsis just just like be aware of which direction the sun goes over which direction the sun comes from that's the only relevant thing yeah yeah exactly um yeah and just hold reference frame you know Um, yeah uh, but anyway, so that was that. Um, that was yeah, that was that, and that was German traditions. Unless you have something else to to add, uh, shall we move into the green room? Uh, oh. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> We're going to do some bank of artifacts here, folks. So let me just get out the necessary letters, and I also need to just give me a second, Bill. I also need to go get um, a money collection. Hold on. Can I open the link? Uh, yeah, open the link. Go for it. Oh, wow. Oh. 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 Okay, so this week in in uh, Bank of Artifexia, uh, we got a, uh, or I got a letter from a Ben, who uh, immediately, I just want to say, props on this, like, extremely concise letter. 
Like this is almost artifacty and script level of conciseness. Like there's about <laughs> maybe five sentences in this letter, very to the point. Big, like bing bang bush out. It's just like crazy. Um, so anyhow, they say, uh, dear Edgar and Bell, uh, Bill, in this envelope there are multiple banknotes for the Bank of Artifexia, including five Canadian dollars, one hundred thousand Brazilian cruceros, maybe one Kyrgyz teen, maybe, and one Mongolian turug. Um, I hope you enjoy them. Am uh, I also curious to know uh, your opinion on the Manchu gender system? and the flag of Toronto. I enjoy the Artifexian podcast and the Artifexian YouTube channel very much. Sincerely, Ben. Hmm. So, Hello, Ben. So thank you, Ben. So really, before we get to the questions, I just want to talk about these notes. I now have Canadian money, which is awesome. I, I, I believe I specifically put out a call for Canadian money the last day. So I'm, I'm really glad, Ben, you answered that call. That, that means a lot to me. And it's five Canadian dollars, which in euro, the one true currency, is three thirty-eight. This is a current. This is a current Canadian five dollar. That's like this is a current Canadian five dollar dollar bill currently in circulation. Do you know people? People always gave out about uh, Canadian money looking a bit like Monopoly money. Like, I don't think that's the case. I think these look like really classy notes. The the transparent thing is kind of crazy. Yeah, but um, man, but that's on the, the that's the, on the, the new the new Bank of England or the the more recent Bank of England notes have that as well. Yeah, I was just about to say that's on the Bank of England notes. I think I think it looks fine, but it doesn't look monopoly mm. money esque. Like it, no, I don't think it looks like monopoly. It's very very colorful, and it's it it's like it's a, a block of color, which maybe is the comparison they're making. But yeah, I think it it looks fine. I think it looks good. I think it looks good. Um, next uh, we had the Brazilian cruzeiros. Now this, I was kind of like, but I have Brazilian money, and then I was like. I have like one Brazilian real or whatever. And I was like, real. Oh, exactly. And I was like, there's no way they have a one uh, bill and then a hundred thousand bill. Turns out that this bill is no longer in circulation. Um, if I recall correctly, and you can fact check me on this bill, I think it went out of circulation in the early 90s. Um, okay. So they must have uh, re, what's the word? Rejiggered their um, denominations to get rid of all the zeros. Um, so I don't actually know how much this is worth in terms of euro or dollars because I couldn't find anything. Uh, but that's really cool. So now I have two separate uh, Brazilian uh, banknotes from different eras, which is awesome. That's cool. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at this here now. So there have been three cruzeiros. Mm-hmm. Um, one from 1942 to 1967, then from 1970 to 1986, and then from 1990 to 1993. So there's gaps between each of those. There's like a three or a four year gap, a three year between the first two and four year between two and three. What, what, um, what happened in those gaps, do you think? Well, I guess they just had something else in between. Hmm. Um, this, this seems like a very inefficient way of sorting out your money system. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's see. We have the daughter. We don't have the daughter. We have the daughter. We don't have the daughter. We have the daughter. We definitely don't have the daughter. Like, it's just like, what? Okay, and then they had the Cuzero Real between, uh, in, for like a year, between August 93 and June 94. And then it went, it came to the current Real. Um, interesting. Yeah. And I always very thankful, um, when, like, I'm thankful in general. Um, of course, that people would like spend money um, 
and time to go send me stuff. But I'm super thankful when people send like rare notes, I suppose. And I'm yeah. like, wow, that's 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 really, really amazing. So Ben, thank you so much. Um the next up, the next one is the Kyrgyz Teen. I, I can't pronounce it. It's all in the show notes, you can go check it out. Um it's one Kyrgyz teen, and the cool thing about this is that uh it is well there's two cool things. One, it's worth 0.013 euro, which is just nuts to think mm-hmm. about. Um and the other cool thing is that it's almost like a square. It has a very, very, very odd aspect ratio. Oh yeah, it's not quite square, yeah. Let me just eyeball like maybe one to like one point two, maybe? Yeah, I'd say something like that, yeah. It's and it's like it doesn't seem like I, I look at it and I'm like, this looks more like a sticker than it does a banknote. Like it's very odd, um, and I think that's the first banknote that I have that has this bizarre aspect ratio to it. So that's really cool to have. And I and I believe I did a quick check check before recording. I think that's the first Kyrgyz note I have. So that's awesome. Did we not have a, Did we not have a Kyrgyz song before? Uh, did we? It's not named on the map. From whatever the map is from. Oh, okay. Well, then we didn't. Then I was sh- I was sure. Man, I was sure we did as well. There because you know. I've I've got a thing listed here. I, I I've got a, a a link I've looked at before of a Kyrgyz opera singer. Oh no, a Kyrgyz ballerina who is on one of the notes. And there's like I can't imagine why else I would have ever looked that up. Yeah. Oh, I must have. I must still have it. See, I so I keep all the letters. Yeah. So I must still have it in the letters and forgot to put it in its slot. So I'll have a, I'll have a look for that. But it's I, I think you're right, though. Oh, God, I hope I haven't lost it. I, f- I feel really bad then, particularly if wh- whoever sent it. I'd be like, oh, no. Um. Anyway, but anyway, back on track, back on track. Uh, the last note that uh, Ben sent in was the one Mongolian Turog, which we already have, but I don't think I mentioned this the last time, and just it's a good opportunity to bring it up. It is perhaps the most um, devalued, is that the correct word, uh, currency that I own, in that like you get the least euro for it. Uh, for one Mongolian Turog, you get 0.00034 euro, which is <coughs> bonkers. Like that's, That is just like... I don't understand how this exists um which is nuts um and also according to wikipedia it's uh, the one uh torog uh or togrog and the five togrog uh are rarely used so this might be the mongolian equivalent of the two dollar the two us dollar bill which i think is class oh this two two dollars is rarely used uh, yeah, they exist, but like people look at them funny, apparently, if you use them in America. <laughs> um, so that is Bank of Artifexia. Uh, I did not... Great. I should have prepped. I should have prepped and done another call for, for notes. Uh, do you want to just give me two seconds there, Bill? Just open up this bio. You uh, you have Argentinian money, don't you? Please I thought so, but I don't know where it's gone. <laughs> Are you being serious? Yeah. Bill, you hurt my... You hurt me. <laughs> No, look, if, if I find uh, it, I'll 100% send it to you. But I just, I don't know where it's gone. Okay, uh, so, so, let me think. Uh, can I put out another call for notes this month, Bill? Mm-hmm. Um, just quickly looking at the, the map of the Bank of Artifexia. 
Um, one that sti- two that stick out. No, in fact, I'm going to say three that stick out. Um, oh, and I haven't checked as to whether or not they all use their own currency. So if I'm wrong, just I'm sorry. Uh, but it would be really cool to finish off Scandinavia. Um, so I currently only have uh, Norwegian and Swedish money. Um, anyone have Finnish, uh, Danish, or Icelandic money? I'm assuming they're three separate currencies. Would I be correct in assuming that, Bill? Um, yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine why they wouldn't be. They're all independent countries. Icelandic money is the kroner, the Icelandic kroner, uh, Denmark. Danish kroner too. Danish kroner. I'm, I'm assuming they're different. And then Finland. Ah, uh, Finland's always off there doing its own thing. It's definitely got its own money. It uses the euro. Oh. There you go. Oh, there we go. So Finland that is makes things simpler. Excellent. That's I was trying to wonder if, if I had any any uh, Finnish money left over from when I was there. So I guess I always do. <laughs> always do. So then let me let me let me change that. Uh, let's say Denmark, Iceland, and I think I'm going to keep it with India. India to get some uh, Indian money would be awesome. Uh, it's a very notable uh, noticeable blank spot there. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, Denmark, Iceland, uh, India. If anyone has any currency from there, please, please, please uh, send it to the address in the show notes. Uh, include some questions in the letter. That uh, make, make sure you write a letter because that's more like half the fun. Uh, include some questions and we'll we'll, we'll read them out um, on air. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Now, how long do we've left here? So we recorded for like half an hour, an hour and a half. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Cloud Atlas real quick? Sure. Uh, so, do you want to give some background here? Um, so this this came up in a in an email or something last episode. I think, as I, as I recall. Oh no! I think what it was is that someone was asking me what what media we're, we're consuming, and I I said something to the effect of I'm currently uh, in the process of disliking. No, that's it. Someone asked uh, what media has like let us down, and I was like, I'm currently in the process of being let down by Cloud Atlas. Um, right, right, right. Uh, and so then I was like, "Oh, I finished it, and I had thoughts." And I was like, "I put in the show notes, and I encouraged you to to watch it, and mm-hmm. you did." And we're just gonna share some thoughts. So yeah, uh, spoilers you, you ahead. You go first. Well, hang on. With spoilers ahead. Spoilers um, ahead. You might want to pause and watch the thing. It's three hours long. Brace yourself, um, <laughs> uh, and then come back, maybe. Um, sure. So my my thoughts are. Um, Overall, I think on reflection, I, I kind of enjoyed it. It's, it is trippy. It's weird. It's not always the most well um, shot thing in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the, uh, like, um, the costumes um, look a bit crap, really. But that's, that's just an aesthetic thing. Um, I think the main interesting point about it is that I thought of you when watching it because it was this. I know they're not writing documents in world and things like this, but it was. It felt very. Bill, like there was like yeah, I, I can see what you mean. Yeah, like there was different clips. Uh, uh for for sorry for the listeners, it's basically like there are like five small story. I think it's five small stories. Six. six. There's six small stories happening at once and you kind of, they cut between them and they all kind of take place within the same like universe, but they're separated by like um, vast amounts of time. Chronologically, there's one in 1849, mm-hmm. then the 1930s, the late 1930s, then there's one in the 1970s, 
one in 2012, uh, then one in the 2100s. I forget the exact date, but it's pretty far future. And then there's one in the 2300s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this reminded me a bit because it was like we get these different snapshots of this world told mm-hmm. by the characters. Um, so it's not exactly, con- uh, it's, it definitely isn't diegetic or anything. Um, yeah. But it just reminded me of Bill. And that's part of the reason why I was like, oh, I, I think Bill should should watch it. Um, mm-hmm. There was bits in it that um, when it was pointed out to me are a bit problematic. Um, with like the, the yellow face isn't great. Yeah. But I didn't notice that the first time. So I like, I just, so, oh, sorry. Again, for the listeners, one of the future settings is set in uh, Asia. In Neo Seoul. Neo Seoul. A future Korea. Exactly. And uh, one of the, uh, at least one of the actors isn't Asian and is kind of in Asian getup. Like his eyes yeah. are like, made uh, elongated and things like that. And I actually. Three that I think can, can remember. Yeah. And so um, the uh, the first time I watched that, I thought this was a kind of like a commentary on. Um, like, you know, with, with, when a society gets extremely wealthy, it has all this disposable income to spend on, like, plastic surgery and stuff. And I, I thought this mm-hmm. person looked like plastic. And that was a deliberate sort of, like, we're in the future here. People are modifying themselves. They don't really look... They look a bit weird. Uh, I didn't realize it was a non-Asian guy uh, or non-Asian guys trying to be Asian. Uh, and, you know, yeah. that's 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 quite problematic. Um, but... Uh, anything else real quick oh yeah uh, I thought the the future English Creole Creole was kind of fun if not a bit silly um, it was a little bit silly but it was it was it was very effective and it was it was nicely consistent it was yeah I thought it was basically pretty well done exactly um, so what do you what did you think um, overall I enjoyed it there mm-hmm. were there were specific things I didn't like but overall I did enjoy it um uh, the first thing I've written down here, because I took a couple of notes while I was watching it, is uh, what the hell is Tom Hanks' accent? In the 2012 segment, Tom Hanks is like plays, he has a brief appearance as a, a gangster. Okay, sorry, we, sh- we should clarify this. It has the same characters in each six segments, and they're playing different, ca- they're, or the same actors in each six segments, and they're playing different characters each time. Yeah. Which is relevant for some of the problematic stuff that well, I'll get into in a bit. But in the 2012 segment, Tom Hanks' character, he only appears briefly, is a, a gangster who's who's written like a tell-all memoir oh. about crime. Yeah. And he's... Is, is it supposed to be an Irish accent? Is it supposed to be like a, a, a working-class London accent? It is awful. It's all over the place. I think it's meant to be Irish because you see his goons later and they have slightly better Irish accents. I think one of them is Irish or... I don't know, maybe I was just so put off that I, I was kind of, I was being suspicious of even actual Irish accents. Um, but it was really bad. Yeah, no, it was it was terrible. It, that bit annoyed me. I had forgotten about it actually until now, but I remember it annoying me because I am, I am so sick of like stereotypes. I know that's like, yeah. you know, like that's nothing new. Like, obviously stereotypes are bad, but I really dislike... Um, when people are all like, oh, Irish people, what are they good at? They they fight and they drink. That's what they do. Mm. And it's just like, but no. Like, no. And it's just like, ah, I didn't like that the person, whoever wrote this book was all like, oh, we're going to put an Irish character in. And of course, they're going to be like, you know, a uh, uh, a person who's prone to fighting and things. I'm just like, oh, mm. get out of it. Like, um, I re- it really irks me. Yeah, it wasn't great. 
other things. Um, yeah, the the whole twenty twelve twelve segment was kind of the ending. I felt was very flat, and that was a, a bit of a of a kind of stereotypical ending again. The 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 old people escape from the horrible retirement home, um, and they end up in a in a bar in Scotland, and the the yeah. The, the staff from the retirement home follow them there and the they turn the the Scottish patrons of the bar on them by by saying that they're you know they're they're nasty English people and again that's like a really stupid tiresome stereotype of Scottish people that they also love to to drink and fright mm-hmm. um and also just as an ending that was a really um a really flat ending I thought it just kind of stopped there the story stopped there. And I didn't really get much of a resolution to to uh, Cavendish's story. Um, yeah, it, it didn't. It, that one kind of felt it, that story kind of stuck out from the others. Yeah, agreed. Um, anyway, the, the, about the the world building thing. Yeah, what you were saying there earlier, the, the stories all link together. But how they link together is each segment has a, a document that refers to the previous chronologically previous se- segment. Mm-hmm. Um, that the characters encounter. So, the earliest segment, eighteen forty nine, uh, the the lawyer writes a, about his experiences in the South Pacific, and mm-hmm. then in the nineteen thirties, uh, Ben Wishaw, the composer guy, reads that and he composes a symphony and writes letters to um, his his lover, and then in the nineteen seventies. Halle Berry reads those letters and hears the music. Uh, a novel is written about Halle Berry, which Timothy Cavendish reads in 2012, which uh, Jim Broadbent reads in 2012. In 2144, there's a film about Jim Broadbent in 2012. And then in the last one, 20, the 2300s, uh, the, the writings of uh, Duna Bay's character has become a sort of a scripture. For the people there, and that—that's mm-hmm. so. I see what you're saying. They—they they link together through internal documents within the world. Yeah, definitely. And I think the a major triumph of the movie and the novel it was based on uh, is this scope. Um, yeah, like the fact that they were able to do this and make it just, like even like as have a semblance of coherence about it is just it's it's a bit of a triumph. It's great. Yeah, the yeah the yellow face thing. Um, it was totally unnecessary. Like, so I'm just looking at it here. Jim Sturgis uh, is the, the the main, or the secondary character in the 2144 segment. He's like the, the guy that rescues uh, San Mi. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a white dude. Play, like, and he's, he's has makeup or whatever to look Asian. Um, also... Uh, Hugo Weaving in that, and whoever the guy that's uh, interviewing Sun Mi, Son Mi, are, uh, they have both been changed to to appear more Asian. Oh um, yeah, Hugo Weaving, like Elrond as Asian, is weird. But like, there, there's like they could just have been white people. Yeah. In yeah. Seoul, like there's maybe there's some other context in the in the novel that makes more sense of that, that they would have to actually be Korean. Um, but yeah, it, it did kind of rub me the wrong way. And as I said, completely unnecessary. And I know they have to stick to the, to the, the six character or the six actors 
re- reappear in the different the different uh, time periods. But I don't know, and like they, obviously they they did other um, other changing of things. Like Halle Berry is Jewish in the nineteen thirties one. I don't think Halle Berry is Jewish in real life, mm-hmm. and uh, Duna Bay. I don't think she's meant to be white in the. I don't. I don't think she's meant to be Asian in the eighteen forty nine one. I think she's meant to be white. Um, but that's that's different. It's got a different cultural context associated there. Um, so yeah, no, it it, it, it rubbed me the wrong way a little. And Hugo Weaving in the twenty twelve one. I I know I know that half of this film was directed by the Wachowskis, so it probably isn't this. But it would be very easy to read that as pretty transphobic. Uh, you're going to need to explain. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. So Hugo Weaving is the nurse in 2012. Hugo Weaving is the nurse in 2012. I, I, man, I don't think I caught that. Hugo yeah, Weaving so, is the nurse. You know, you know the, the nasty, abusive nurse in the, in the retirement place? In yeah, the that's Hugo yeah, Weaving. That, that was Hugo Weaving, yeah. And, yeah... I just like the only, I don't know, having a man dressed as a woman play this scary, abusive character. I know it, was, it probably isn't the intent, but it, it feels a little uncomfortably close to a lot of mm. uh, transphobic stereotypes that are quite popular at the moment. Yeah, um, I mean, I would. So that, that, I don't know. I know, I know the Wachowskis were involved, so. They have a better say in it than I do, but it put me off a little. Yeah, I, I was about to say, like, yeah, I think the Wachowskis being there is, is mitigates the problem somewhat. But I, I, but they I, didn't they didn't direct that segment. So now that's the thing I want to talk about. There was other directors. So the Wachowskis directed um, eighteen forty nine and the two future segments and Tom Twiker, you know the the German director. I think he's German. Uh, no, but yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's a German director. Did you ever see Run, Lola, Run? No. Okay, it's a, a very good German film. Um, our Perfume, The Story of a Murderer, is another uh, pretty famous one by him. Mm-hmm. He directed the 1930s, 1970s, and 2012 segments. Okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, no, I, I, can, I, I see where you're coming from there, for sure, for sure. Um, what else have I got written here? Um... I, I thought there were small details that carried through, but they could have made a little bit more out of it or made it a little bit more connected. I'm not sure. Um, like, uh, Tom Hanks in 1849 steals, um, he, he's a, he's this nasty doctor who's treating, uh, the, the lawyer character and he steals, like, all the guy's money and, and jewels and things while he's treating him because he's not actually treating him. He's keeping him sick so he can exploit him. Um, yeah. And he steals a like a, a pretty button off his waistcoat, and I'm pretty sure that Tom Hanks in the the latest segment, the the twenty three hundred segment, owns that button and it like incorporates it into his his necklace or something. Um, oh, cool! I didn't clock, that but it right. wasn't. I wasn't sure if that was the case, but they focused in on it very closely at one point, at one kind of plot critical point, and it looks quite similar. So hmm. I'm not sure what, what what that is about. There there could have been maybe a little bit more there. Or maybe it's better to leave it leave it a little bit guessing. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think it's good to leave it guess. Leave you guessing. And I love the Soylent Green reference. Oh Jesus! Have I even watched this film? What's the Soylent Green reference? <laughs> Have you ever seen Soylent Green? 
No, but I know it as a cultural thing, like. Okay, so I'm not going to say it because I think I think you either know it or you don't, right? Most people know it. If you don't know the thing about Simon Green, go and watch the film. It's it's a pretty good film, um, and it's a it's got a really iconic ending. So I'm not going to spoil it for you if you don't know it. Okay. Um, but but as he's making his first attempt to escape from the the nasty old folks' home. Uh, Timothy Cavendish, like he or Jim Broadbent, the actor, uh, delivers the lines from the end of of Soylent Green, and I thought it was really funny. Oh yeah, no, that would have went totally over my head, one hundred percent over my head. Um, okay. Um, what did you think? Uh, have you? Well, sorry, have you got more on the list there? Because um, we should probably not go back for it. Should finish off your list, and then I'll I'll uh, put in my final thing. Um. Tom Hanks' accent, Sun and Green, Yellow Face, Details, Cavendish, Hugo Weaving. No, nope, I've ticked off everything. Uh, what did you think of the sort of structure? Like the idea of like there are six stories and they're told uh, not sequentially, but like kind of almost on top of each other. Um, I thought it worked fine. Yeah, I thought it worked fine. Now, I didn't watch it in a single sitting. I watched it in... Three or four sittings because I, like, I watched some of it in on a train station and then on the train and then in a library. Um, mm-hmm. So it was it was spread out over a day. Um, so maybe that had some impact on it, but you know I, I thought it worked perfectly well. And there were like the way it was put together, there were some um, parallels between things that were happening in the different periods that were shown together. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry, w- one other thing. Um, I thought the. The Neo Soul setting was a very generic sort of cyberpunk dystopia. Yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. It wasn't, it was nothing groundbreaking in that sense, but it wasn't the focus, so it didn't really matter that much. Um, and I thought the combat sequence in that was pretty bad. <laughs> I, I wanted to make it clear to, to everyone here, like, we actually enjoyed this, this movie. It doesn't sound like yeah. it, like, it sounds like we hated it, but it actually is a good movie. It just has, like, a lot of small flaws. <laughs> Yeah, I enjoyed it with, with, with some reservations. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, what was I going to say? Yeah, the, the splicing up of the stories into um, little chunks. Um, I'm unsure about that. Because, like, I, I was thinking about when I was watching, I was like, would any of these stories hold up if they were just told in the standard linear fashion? And I was like, probably not. Like, they're not really mm. massively interesting. And, like the cutting them up and splicing together like like the way they did kind of makes it seem um hold on what are you doing cat um i think the cat (laughs) is very much coming to the end of its time and it is it is just peeing everywhere man so every time i hear a rustle of the like we line all our furniture with like uh bin bags and tarp and stuff to stop from peering peeing uh, on the on the furniture every time you hear Russell I'm like what's happening so sorry about that um uh, how many legs does the cat have how many legs it has yeah. it has four it has four okay so it's not a three-legged incontinent okay it's not three-legged incontinent uh call back <laughs> um yeah so the 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 splicing them together like that I was kind of like is this kind of a, like a bit of a cheap trick to make otherwise kind of fairly bland stories seem kind of like artsy and interesting um, mm-hmm. you know and I believe the novel does a similar thing and I wonder would the same critique apply there like have you actually the dear person who has created a story have you actually just made like six bland stories and like 
presented them in a way that makes them seem more interesting than they actually are. Um, I'm unsure about that. Um, I, and I, it's, I have a similar thing with time travel films. Um, uh, the, the, the last episode of Star Trek, or last season of Star Trek, is, uh, falls in this category where it's like, as you're viewing it, the episode, say, in a season, um, they seem random and disjointed. And then at the end, you're like, oh, but time travel was involved. This is why. And I always, it always feels like a bit of a cheap trick. Do you know what I mean? To make something that isn't that interesting kind of seem more interesting than it is. Right. Um, so I, I, I don't know where I fall with Cloud Atlas. Like some of the stories I think are weak and don't really hold up on their own. Some of them I think are interesting and strong. So I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm kind of 50-50 about it, you know? Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to see like a fan cut where it's it's done chronologically. I believe um, they exist on YouTube. Okay. Okay. Um, um, I, I I just had a look at the the Wikipedia for the, for the novel there, and the novel is not told entirely chronologically. Oh, sorry, it's it's not told at all chronologically, but the structure is different to the to the film. Um, okay. The it it tells each half. It tells half of each segment at a time, um, and then in the middle is the, the the final, like the chronologically final segment in its entirety, and then it goes and revisits each of the other ones in reverse order. So it opens in 1849 and closes in 1849. It's, it's, it's almost palindromic. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's structurally palindromic. Um, I'm sure they had to change it up. You know, way moving things from novel to film involves invariably changing. Oh yeah, of course, um, of course. But uh, yeah, I might actually watch one of those supercuts where it's all spliced together linearly and see what I think. Um, yeah. But, but overall, overall, uh, I thought it was good. I thought there was some fun world building in it, not mm-hmm. without its problems. Uh, the scope is kind of quite magnificent. Um, and yeah, I got solid like nine out of twelve. <laughs> um, I don't particularly like the Wachowskis, so I enjoyed it more than I expected to. Oh, interesting! Ah, um, oh, man, yeah. the first Matrix movie is, is golden. Like, can we agree on that? Uh, ha- have you watched it in recent years? It has aged so badly. I yeah yeah, but like in the same way that like I know monster movies from back in the day have aged terribly, but like. I I I think it holds up. I think it holds up as a um, visually it doesn't hold up, but I think kind of thematically it's it's it holds up. Particularly with like you know people constantly talking about like uh, you know uh, AIs taking over um, and all that sort of jazz. That kind of still holds. It's still uh, like talked about in the Matrix. It still holds. Um, Matrix two and three aren't great, and they never were great. No, um, but I really I really didn't like V for Vendetta. I've never seen View from there, so I, I don't know. Yeah, um, I know their 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 style is just a little. It's a little too polished for me. It's a little. It's a little overly slick, and I I, I find mm. it becomes a little bit sterile at times. I, um, I agree. Agree. I, I I can get behind that. Uh, and also, mm. there's a case we made that they're shock and pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard Sense Eight is great, so I might give Sense Eight a chance. I've heard that's very very good. But yeah, there you go. Go check out uh, Cloud Atlas, folks. Um, yeah, I think it's worth the watch. Cool. Cool. All right, so <laughs> two and a half hours in. Should we call it there? Well, two two hours in. I mean, even two hours is still is still long. <laughs> um, 
yeah let, let's call it there um, let's call it there usual thank you so much for listening folks thanks for supporting the show on Patreon thanks friends thanks for buying the merch thanks for like being in the subreddit the whole you're buying thanks for Bar- Bank of Artifacts yeah y'all are absolutely great never ever change um <laughs> uh, until next time Edgar, Edgar out, out. Thank you.